Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and health to members of our middle school communities. Take a walk with co-hosts Phyllis Fagel and Joe Mazza as they discuss self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education and is designed to support the concepts outlined in our foundational text, The Successful Middle School, This We Believe. Learn more at amle.org. Today's episode, Supporting Students Who Are Struggling Socially. Hey, Phyllis. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Today was a long week. Yes, yes. And, and this week has been a long year. Um, absolutely. Well, uh, we have a special guest today, and I think it's a real timely conversation for, for us and our colleagues across the country who work with middle schoolers. Um, Phyllis, why don't you introduce our special guest? I am so excited because our special guest today is a friend and also my favorite expert when it comes to all things social drama. We have Katie Hurley with us today. She's a psychotherapist. She's a speaker. She is a parenting educator, and she is the author of many books, including the award-winning No More Mean Girls, which has the most relevance to the topic we will be discussing today. But she's also written books about depression, and she wrote the Happy Kid Handbook, and she's got a new release called A Year of Positive Thinking for Teens. And I could go on and on because she writes for a lot of people too, but she's just a pretty amazing human being and a wonderful therapist. And I'm so excited to have her here with us. And also as a counselor in the school setting, I am going to take full advantage of her wisdom and kick this off by asking her a question that has a lot of relevance to my role right now, which is how do we help kids who are not starting the school year right now, we're two thirds of the way through the school year, but they're behaving like it's the beginning of the school year in terms of establishing where they are socially, the insecurity, everything that comes along with only just returning in person in a more concentrated way. Well, first of all, thank you for that glowing introduction, Phyllis. I almost feel as if I should just take a bow and get the heck out of here before I can say anything that ruins it. Um, but thank you for having me. I, You know, Phyllis, we are always talking about meeting kids where they are, right? Meet them where they are, and that's how we help them. That's how we figure out what's going on and where to begin. And for all intents and purposes, this is the first day of school, the first week of school for many, many kids across the country. Some have been in, you know, hybrid one day a week, two days a week. My own kids go three hours, three days a week. It's preschool, right? So <laughs> when they finally go back full time, it feels like culture shock. It does feel like the first day of school. All the rules keep changing on them. Um, you know, we spent 13 months telling them that that not only was the world unsafe, but that they were the unsafest part of it because they could carry this disease that could hurt all the people. So, mm -hmm. and then we just one morning magically said, it's over, <laughs> you can go back to school now, <laughs> even though we know it's not really over. So it's a lot, it's a lot to manage, you know, things I'm hearing about that I'm sure you two are hearing about. It's just trying to communicate with masks on is difficult. We have to make room for that in our brains when we think about how we approach things with kids. You know, they're trying to, some will project their voices pretty well, but then they sound like they're yelling. Others are quieter and can't project their voices through the mask or are struggling to do that. So then they feel like everyone's ignoring them all the time and they're being left out. So there's all kinds of new little microaggressions popping up around how we have to interact 
right now. And so, you know, we kind of have to say to ourselves, this is a new beginning starting now. How can we handle it? What, what do we do the first weeks of school? We really spend a lot of time trying to help them build social connections and trying to help them build connections with their teachers. And we all know the connections over Zoom were not the same as face-to-face -face teacher connections. So, you know, we got to put our energy into rebuilding from the beginning for these kids so that they feel safe, they feel connected, they feel heard and understood. I love that point about how kids might feel ignored when someone simply hasn't heard them. We know with middle schoolers, they're so prone to misinterpreting social feedback, even in the best of times let alone when everyone is in a mask. And I'm really seeing that manifest in so many different ways. And one of them, I had a student come in today who is a middle schooler, obviously a boy, and he was really frustrated because he feels like these kids who he's peripherally friends with have been following him around, trying to get him to like them and trying to impress him you know, by telling jokes or saying something snarky. And he's finding it super irritating. And on top of being irritated because he can't then hang out with the people he wants to hang out with, he feels like he is being mean if he says the wrong thing. And he feels like they're completely missing the fact that he's irritated. And that's actually something I said to him that maybe they don't realize you're irritated because they can't see your full expression. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot of similar stories. And one thing that's coming up in my own treatment and then in the, you know, work I do with schools is kids today, especially middle schoolers, really struggle to set healthy boundaries with other kids. It's okay if you don't want to hang out with certain kids. Do you need to be respectful about it and use a kind tone? Of course, that's, that's how we get along in life, right? We are respectful and we use a nice voice tone and we say, no, thank you. Um, but kids are afraid to do that because what they hear is that no is mean or that, you know, um, taking a break from a certain group is, is, you know, ostracizing them and is bullying. And there's all these mixed messages about what's bullying and what's not bullying. And kids now are kind of becoming fearful of setting boundaries, which is a shame and dangerous, I think, because we all need to know how to say no, how to say no in a healthy way, how to set boundaries that are appropriate for our emotional well-being, for our physical health, for all kinds of reasons. So that's part of what you're seeing is a kid who doesn't know how to assert himself and set those healthy boundaries with his peers. And then what happens is he's building up resentments and he's feeling really angry and he's feeling really frustrated. Um, and that's not okay because he's the one suffering because he can't set these boundaries and the kids aren't reading the cues because they can't, they can't right. see the cues. Right. Right. Katie, that, that's a good segue into a scenario that I have for you. Uh, something that's actually happening here in, here in our building and I'm sure in many other buildings um, as kids come back, you know, in our last episode, we talked about the importance of, of not waiting until September. If you don't have to come, if you don't have to, you know, having that transition happen this year. So when it comes to September, you know, you can, we can go back to school as we typically go back to school. Um, so, so here it is. So uh, there's a close friend and that close friend starts to branch out and connect with others. Um, a few things can happen with the initial relationship, right? Um, you know, there could be, it, it could feel exclusionary, that could feel purposeful, unintentional, um, with purposeful, you know, new friends might purposely exclude, you know, mention those exclusive plans in, in a taunting sort of way. Um, you know, th there's a variety of different ways that that can go. So 
I, I guess my question to you would be, what would be some advice that you would have for you know, guidance counsel counselors handling that here at the school level? And then maybe you know, from a parent's lens uh, from the home, on the home front. So one thing I often suggest, especially with this age group, because we do know they are sensitive, you know, their amygdalas are on high alert all the time. And, and you know, their brains just aren't developed to, to kick in with the logic and reasoning when they need it, unfortunately. So, you know, sometimes those things happen where they're branching out, they're meeting new friends, and then those friends already have some established plans or something they do all the time. And they're not really bringing the new person into the fold just yet. And, and that can feel like, oh, you only like me a little bit. I'm not really in the group. I'm only partially in the group. So I often encourage guidance counselors and parents both to do friendship mapping with kids. So like, just get a piece of paper and draw all the places you have friends. So there's school, but maybe there's soccer, maybe there's band, maybe there's um, you know, a, a religious group that you belong to or something. Maybe there's some other community events that you do or there's some other uh, extracurricular activity that you do. Where are all the places in your life that you have friends? I encourage adults to do this too, just to have the experience of going, oh, right, those are my college friends. You know, these are my community friends here that live in the neighborhood. These are my work friends. These are, when we start mapping it out and looking at all the places that we know people, we realize that we have more friends than we think. Um, and then, and that helps, like gives us a boost of confidence. Like, yeah, I am a person who is, who can make friends, is capable of making friends and has other places to go. And the reason I encourage that is because when kids can float a little bit and they can move between groups, they have more options and they don't feel as stuck and they don't ruminate over that one sleepover that I didn't get invited to that means I'm iced out and I'm not in the group because it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it still hurts just the same. And the pod scenario that we've got all across the country is hard. It is hard. so hard. Yep. Yeah. And, and actually, Joe, we have a new twist on the pod situation, which is that the pods in some ways, as hard as it was to look longingly across the blacktop at that close friend you're not allowed to play with now or talk to, now that we are allowing our pods to mix, but only during recess and only outside, suddenly there's a new set of rules and kids are jockeying for position, just like they did at the beginning of the year. And there are so many hurt feelings and complicating things even further. They're so much more active online because of the last 12 months than they were before. And so there is no break for them. They are just carrying this over late into the night. It's really hard for them to disengage. I've definitely noticed that the kids who put in place some policies for themselves, like I'm not getting online and talking to my friends after X time, actually are going through their days with more equanimity. Yeah, I've been encouraging these kids to use the settings on their phones to kind of establish their own guidelines like what's the time that you want snapchat to just auto shut off so you're done you know and i find that when they have some self-efficacy and they they can establish those routines and boundaries for themselves they actually are relieved you know at first they're like oh i'm gonna miss something or you know all the best conversations happen at 11 o'clock or you know but once they get into the routine and they take the ownership and they do it themselves they actually feel quite relieved that they're not having to deal with the constant onslaught of you know, texts or no texts, snaps or no snaps, you know, what am I missing? Because the truth is, even when they're on it 24-7, and some of them are, they still are going to miss out on some things. They're not going to be included in every streak. They're not going to be in every private story. They're not going to have access to all the things. And the, all those little microaggressions just add up, add up and hurt their self-esteem. 
That makes perfect sense to me. And actually, I hadn't thought about this in this exact way before a student shared it with me today. But again, this was another middle school boy who said that there was this massive group text that had started to almost include everybody. And they were making plans for after school and there was they were torn about whether or not they should make a point of making an announcement in case somebody else wanted to join. We put a big emphasis on being inclusive here. And they realized there were a lot of people who they thought had been on the group text that weren't by choice. They had dropped off. And I said, oh, what, what happened? Were they offended? Did something go wrong? And he said, no, the group text started to become essentially spamming. There were so many texts flying back and forth that it became an irritant. It wasn't even something they wanted to be part of anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, and I don't know if it's just the, <laughs> the pandemic or just every, just the wear and tear in general of social media and those giant group texts and everything. But in the last month or so, I have had so many kids reach out to me and say, I'm so tired of it. I can't, I'm quitting Snap. I'm, I'm quitting Instagram. I can't handle anymore. It's too much input. It's just constant, you know, it's, it's exhausting for your brain. And they're starting to recognize that, which, you know, I think is a good thing. Not that we, not that they should have to go through that struggle to recognize it, but it is good that they're able to say to themselves, this is too much for me. Katie, can you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Uh, Katie, I have parents asking me, you know, or just talking about how hard it is to get their kids to set limits. And, and some of this is, you know, there's a, the parent role versus the friend role. And we've got to make sure that we always keep the parent role. Um, but, you know, what are, what are some ideas that, you know, we would encourage parents to, you know, talk about whether it's a resource, it's a book or something. How, how do we get that conversation and get kids to really listen and pay attention as, as an adolescent? Well, I think one of the hardest parts of this is the the parent, how parents approach it. Um, you know, Devorah Heitner wrote a great book, Screenwise. Um, I know she's working on another one now. And that's a useful resource for parents to sort of educate themselves. I think what I find over and over again is that parents, they don't understand it. They don't understand what the kids are doing on all these different social media apps. They don't understand the appeal of TikTok and why you can get stuck on it for four hours at a time. Um, they don't understand the algorithms. There's so much that they're not making an effort to understand. So part of it is learn. And if you really don't know, ask your kids, you know, and they'll say to me all the time, well, why do they tell you everything? And they don't tell me anything. And I'm like, well, cause I just ask and I'm not their mom. So I just ask questions like, you know, yesterday I asked a 12 year old, Hey, what are the new words everyone's using? You got to keep me up to speed. So she went through, you know, a whole list of words. Right, what, are the, what are those words? What are, let's talk yeah. about, what are those words? <laughs> I, well, she, one of them she said was, um, sheesh and I was like sheesh like the old word like like I say sheesh all the time like what, like, what does it mean you know and she's like oh yeah you have to use that online now but it's like different and you know so I'm taking an interest in asking them what are you doing you know and when I am encouraging kids to set their own limits the first thing I say is hey you all have iPhones so you know check those weekly reports just for your own curiosity at the end of the week go in and see where are you spending the most time you know, what apps are you using the most? What time of day are you using the most? Start there and figure out what your patterns are and then be realistic with yourself and say, well, what do I want to do? What's the goal I want to achieve? I mean, I can tell you, you know, only use it for two hours, but that's a little ridiculous at this point in the pandemic. Um, so let's, let's come up with things that are realistic for you. And that's when they start going, you know what? I don't need to be doing this after nine o'clock at night. Why am I doing this? It's only making me upset before bed. And they start recognizing their patterns and realizing the times of day where they feel the most angsty about it. And I'll say that like, 
what's the time of day that you're using your phone that you feel the most like, you know, like mm. this is too much for me. Um, and make a note of that, you know, make a note of it in your phone so that you can come back to me and tell me. So when we start sort of doing that and just recognizing our own cues, our own, like, when am I clenching my fists and I'm so sick of it that I can't handle it for one more second. When we start paying attention to that, we can start establishing healthy routines for ourselves. And what parents tend to do is you use your phone too much. Stop. I'm taking it away. It's too much. You can't have this. You can't have that. And when we come into these sort of sweeping declarations and then we're doom scrolling until midnight every night on Instagram and they know it, you know, we're not setting, we're not modeling it at all. Right. And, you know, guilty as charged when I can't sleep, I grab my phone too. So, you know, I talk about that with my own kids. I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old. And I'm like, you know what? I'm always leaving a book by my bed right now because when I can't sleep, I want to reach for a book. I don't, I, I, I've set a bad example. It's not good for my brain. Now I'm going to reach for a book or a magazine if I can't sleep at night. So, you know, we have to model it. And then we really just have to be honest with them. I mean, uh, you know, you can put all the apps you want on the phone, Bark, Life360, whatever you want. You can spend any amount of money to try and control them. But the truth is the best thing you can do is talk to them and have honest conversations and be curious. Ask them what they're doing, what they love, what's fun, what's not fun. Does anything ever scare them or make them feel nervous? You know, check in on that daily. What I love about the book strategy you came up with for yourself is that middle schoolers might know that they shouldn't be on that phone, that it puts them in a bad mood or gets them feeling insecure, but they often really do need concrete ways to do something else. They may not intuitively think, you know what, at that time of day when I'm going to be most likely to end up upset because I've scrolled through somebody's feed and now I feel jealous that they got a puppy and now I'm upset because they're together on the trampoline. Instead, if they have a plan, you know what, I'm going to put that graphic novel I've been wanting to read next to my bed. I think that could be really helpful for them, too, to get those kinds of suggestions. Yeah, and middle schoolers, and you guys know this, middle schoolers are still really playful. They just they just don't admit that out loud, right? But when I push them, like, okay, so, you know, maybe you don't want to read a graphic novel. Fine, I get it. That's all right. You know, maybe you're doing school all day and you don't want to read at night. I can understand that. So what would you do? Like, nine out of 10, they're like, well, I still love slime, but don't tell anyone I told you that. You know, I'm like, great, put slime by your bed. You know, like, oh, well, actually, I still use Lego sometimes. Great, put those in your room. Like, so when you can kind of get them alone and you get them into their comfort zone and they feel like they can trust you, they'll start telling you, like, what are the sneaky playthings they still hold on to? Those are all good strategies to use when you're having trouble sleeping or you're feeling upset or overwhelmed. When you mentioned Legos and slime, it made me think about the fact that kids are in such different stages of maturity, mm-hmm. too, even within the same grade. And even a kid who is pretty mature can be, you know, 14 going on four or 14 going yep. on 24, depending <laughs> on the day. And the way that sometimes manifests is that it really gets in their way socially, whether they're very young compared to their classmates, or maybe they have some social anxiety. And mm-hmm. in the pandemic in particular, I feel like it's an incredibly hard time to be a new student. And there's been a lot of changes in our student body. I'm sure that's true in other places as well, as people maybe set up shop somewhere else or to switch from a school that's been virtual to a school that's in person. I was talking to one of our students a week or so ago, and I had noticed she was standing on the blacktop by herself. And I went up to her and I didn't want to make any assumptions, but I asked her, you know, are you happy alone? You know, are you just trying to decompress and need some time to just not talk to anyone? Or would you like to be playing basketball with everyone right now? 
And she said, well, I'm just super anxious. And it really got me thinking about how, what we can do to help kids who've got masks, who might be new or not new, who are just having a really hard time joining a social situation, even if everyone is very welcoming, it's just intimidating for them. How do you help kids who fall into that category? So I spend a lot of time talking to kids about the art of sliding in and out of conversations, which is not something we always teach kids anymore. I mean, I don't know if it was ever specifically taught. I think once upon a time, maybe we spent more time on those sort of social interaction skills in the school setting. And now we don't really make room for that anymore. But um, so I do a lot of role plays with kids where we're just talking about like, how do you, what do you do? So you see a group of people talking, you're feeling like so anxious that you almost want to vomit. Um, but you know, you want to be there, you know, you'd rather not be by yourself. You'd rather be talking with this group of people. What do you do? So you walk up to them, you wait, you know, you take a couple deep breaths, you take your time. A good thing about masks is it masks our anxiety. <laughs> so it gives us a chance to sort of take a beat, right. And take a deep breath you know, look around, try to make eye contact with someone, just listen to what they're talking about. And then when there's a pause, oh yeah, I saw that movie too. I liked it because blah, 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 right? Not everybody, I mean, we take this for granted, the skill of how do you enter a group that's already at play? We know how to do it as adults. Um, and, and for some adults, it's even hard, but we do know how to do it. If push comes to shove, we know how to get ourselves into a group of people talking. We know how to wait and not blurt out. You know, we know how to wait for a cue for something that we can talk about, something that we can address without making stuff up and, and you know, potentially looking like we don't know what we're talking about. So, you know, practicing that at home is really important. And a lot of that takes place around the, the dinner table or the breakfast table or whatever meal it is that you eat all together as a family, where you can sort of spitball back and forth about topics and give kids a chance to interject and share their point of view. One thing I find right now is that kids tell me all the time they get talked over by the adults in the room during meals. Um, especially if it's like an extended family meal where there are a lot of adults and a few kids, the kids almost get dismissed and talked over. It's really important to listen to what kids have to say, because when we take that pause and we listen to them and then acknowledge it by responding to it in some way, they learn how to assert themselves, how to enter a conversation that their you know, ideas and thoughts are important to other people. And that's where they practice these essential skills of, you know, how do you join in? Yeah. A lot and of I, a, a lot of what you know we've been talking about for the last twenty minutes uh, really comes back to modeling by adults. Um, you know whether that's talking, whether that's being on our phone, um, whether that's you know taking different cues. You know I think that um, you know what's been helpful in in my own house with my kids, and of course they're not adolescents yet, thank goodness. Um, uh, but just verbalizing the thoughts that I have as I'm making these decisions, as I'm doing this, you know, being really open and upfront about that. Um, and again, you know, those of us that have five, six, seven, eight schools, you know, half of our school is an elementary school. Um, half of our school is a beginning of, of a middle school. So um, I think it's, it's really not, not just important to model it, you know, in real time, but also to express and verbally talk out those decisions and those things that we're making. Katie, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, we have basically two months till the end of the school year in many schools. Our, our fourth quarter starts on uh, Monday. Uh, what, what's some advice that you have for schools as we kind of head down the home stretch here, whether that be friendships, whether that be, you know, getting a, a good amount of, 
um, you know, uh, motivation, you know, momentum, you know, heading toward the end of the school year. So, so we can go into the summer on a happy note and, and start the school year next year. Yeah, this will come as no surprise to Phyllis, but I would love to see schools really promoting community building, um, talking about mental health, talking about friends and how we make them and, and what happens when friendships go awry. Uh, I would say most kids don't understand that sometimes friendships go on pause for a month, two months, six months, a year. It doesn't mean they're over. It just means they're paused. So really, if schools could really take this time to not worry about the, quote, catching up that everybody is so worried about because they're going to be fine. They're going to restart next year and they're going to be fine. Um, in terms of academics, they'll be able to make up those perceived losses. But the social emotional development is huge right now. We got a lot of kids walking around feeling anxious, feeling depressed, feeling afraid to even admit to those things. And the best thing we can do as the adults in the room, in the community is talk to them. You know, Phyllis going up to that girl on the blacktop, um, you know, might've been life-saving for that girl. And maybe that sounds like an exaggeration, but I don't think so. Because had she stood there alone the whole time, she would have stood there with her anxiety, not knowing what to do, but an adult cared enough to say, hey, are you okay? Are you happy being here alone? Or, or would you like to talk? And she got that opportunity to talk. So I think if we really promote those kinds of things, you know, talking about mental health, talking about making friends, you know, how you get together with friends on the weekend, how you keep in touch with friends outside of school, how do you talk over this mask, you know, how do you make yourself heard in this classroom? Just doing those things are gifts that we can give kids right now that'll set them up for success for next year. I have chills. I love everything you just said and couldn't agree more. And I do think that one of the benefits of being in a school is one of the same benefits for you of being a psychotherapist as opposed to the parent asking the question. We can actually get some real information and use that information to give kids some concrete strategies and skills that maybe they wouldn't necessarily want to admit at home so readily. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They talk to us because we're not their parents. <laughs> that's a big reason they talk to us, right? <laughs> um, and we take that role seriously. And that's okay. It's good for parents to know that, you know, it's the same with teachers and coaches. If they don't have a therapist or a counselor, they'll go to a coach or a teacher at times and they'll talk to them and they'll tell them all kinds of things that they're not sharing at home. And that's okay. It's good for kids to have these adult, um, you know, models, role model relationships outside of their parents because they learn that support comes from all different places. Katie, Phyllis, thank you. What a fantastic episode of the walk and talk. And, and Phyllis is doing the walking for both I, of us. Today, I was Katie. just going to say, pick up the case, Phyllis. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid the really trafficy and poor Wi Fi areas so that I don't wreck the whole episode here. And, I'm a rule I, follower. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, my my son had to go get a COVID test, so I picked up my daughter, who's next door in my office, watching slime videos, getting back to the slime, uh, slime thing. So I'm in, I'm down the hall here. So, but a pleasure uh, speaking with thank you, Katie. You. Uh, we yes, can't wait. Thanks, to, Katie. Can't wait to talk more in the future. So thanks, thanks everybody. So ha much. Have a fantastic afternoon.